out in space so we can see the galaxies clearer than we've ever seen them before. And there it is, hands that flung stars into space to a cruel cross, surrendered. This is our God, the servant king. And this morning we're going to discover that that's the attitude we have to have, that of a servant. And it's hard and it's tough and it's not easy when we feel and see all that is thrown at us. So as we did last week, please turn to Acts chapter 19 and to that very strange section of Scripture that we uh, looked at and spoke of together. It's uh, one that is sometimes used to justify rebaptism. That's not what we're talking about here this morning. It's uh, talking about very clearly the most important thing that was missing in the lives of these 12 men. So Acts chapter 19 Uh, Verse 1 through to verse 7, Acts 19, 1 to 7. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, We've not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? And so they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him. That is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now, the men were about 12 in all. One last verse from Romans chapter 8, verse 9. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. It's a clear presentation of Scripture that we have here before us. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ living within them, present within them, operating within them, he doesn't belong to Christ. It's a very, very important piece of Scripture for us to understand. Essentially, as we saw last week, Paul is saying, you can believe as much as you like. You can have all your I's dotted and your T's crossed. You can know all the theology that there is to know. You can say it off pat. Sorry, but very, very clearly, thank you, what the scripture is saying to us here is that if we don't know Christ, then we have nothing. If you don't belong to Christ, and if we don't belong to Christ, then we are not his. If we don't belong to Christ, if the Holy Spirit is not living and dwelling within us, then we have no place in his kingdom. Our lives are not safe in his hands. We are lost. We are not saved. We do not have the hope of heaven because we do not belong to Christ. 
1 John chapter 3 and verse 24 goes on and explains a wee bit more. It says, this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit, and it's a capital S in that verse, by the Spirit that he has given to us. I tend to think of the book of Acts as a book that teaches us that there are four essential ingredients in true Christian confession. First of all, there is repentance towards God. And we spoke about that last week, but we need to recap. Repentance is a change of mind towards God. Remember, repentance is not something that you do. A lot of people have seemed to have got that idea in their mind. It's getting on your knees and saying something. Repentance is something you think. It's a change of mind. It's a change of mind your mind about God. It's a change of your mind about yourself. And it's absolutely a change in your mind about sin. About your sin. Because suddenly, instead of accepting your sin, or covering your sin, or trying to make yourself look okay, all of a sudden, you recognize sin for what it really is. And you recognize just how horrible sin is toward God. And all of a sudden, everything in your heart and life changes. Because it has to. Because now you've seen who you really are. And now you've seen how God really sees you. And yet he was merciful. And he reached out. And he loves you. Repentance. A change of mind. Faith. On the basis of my turning from what I am and what I do, I turn to who Christ is. And what he does. And faith is based on the disposition that says, I can't, but he can. I can't, but he can. Because we suddenly recognize that we've been fooling ourselves for so long. And we thought to ourselves, oh yes, I can sort this out in my own strength. I can see some people smiling here this morning. And they remember back over the decades where we've gone away quietly thinking and saying to ourselves, it's okay, I've got this under control. I can't, but he can when it comes to salvation. I can't, only he can. I can't, you can. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. I couldn't do it. I tried, but I couldn't. And you can, and you did. Please save me when it comes to living the Christian life. I can't, but you can. Thank you for doing that within me. Thank you for revealing my sin to me. You see, I can't even do that. I can be selective about it. But there are things that I hold precious. They're sinful. But I've convinced myself that God's going to be okay with me. He's going to make an exception for me. So I can't see my sin. But he can. Repentance and faith. And then there is the receiving of the Holy Spirit. When Peter preached that first sermon after Pentecost in the new era of the church, which was born at Pentecost, the people said, what shall we do? Because they were confronted. They were convicted 
of their sin. And Peter replies in Acts 2 verse 38 and he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this morning we're briefly going to consider the implications of the work of the Holy Spirit within us. But only the beginning because the implications will last for several weeks and months as we begin to look at this. So we begin to start, and the first thing we're going to start off is to look at that hymn that we sung, The Servant King. Because how is it that you and I could ever be changed into those with a servant heart? It's an impossibility. Unless the Holy Spirit works in us, and he does it for us. It's him. It means that we're going to serve. Not just in what we spoke of last week, if you remember, about being fruit and not flowers. A few people said to me, yeah, you're right. We're not really flowers, are we? <laughs> we have to be fruit. We're not just here to look pretty. We're not just here to prettify or beautify the town or the home in which we live or the community that we live. We're here to feed it. And that's why we can't just step out. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world as Christ shines through us. So you see, we are here to serve, which means that a transformation has to take place within our hearts and within our lives. And that transformation, that complete change only happens as the Holy Spirit works within us. And so the implications of the work and person of the Holy Spirit are so far-reaching, they are colossal, they are enormous, and we need to begin to understand all that he has to say for us. We're fruit. We're here for the benefit of others. We're here, in a sense, for the consumption of others. And we discover that the Holy Spirit breeds within us a servant spirit. And that's why the New Testament talks about spiritual gifts, doesn't it? You know, you might be the most gifted person in the world. Perhaps you can make things, do things. But we're talking about the, the gifts of the Spirit. And if there's no Spirit within us, then we're not able to have the gifts of the Holy Spirit working themselves out through us. They're intended for the benefit of other people, to build other people up, for equipping other people. But we need to be ready in our hearts and lives before we can talk of these things. And we made the point last week that there's very, very important things we need to move forward as we're beginning to look into Acts. But I'm wondering if we're ready. Have we sorted out the basic need that we have, which is to know and love the Lord Jesus and to see the Holy Spirit working in our hearts to make us hungry. The last word of the Lord Jesus before he ascended back to his Father in heaven in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 was, you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Wow, we've got to be busy, haven't we? There's a lot of places to cover. There's a lot of work to be done. And slowly but surely the church has been chipping away at this task throughout the last 2,000 years and we are here and we've been given our commandment. We've been given our, our battle instructions, if you like. It hasn't changed. Our forebears had exactly the same set of instructions. And they have been faithful and they have been doing what 
uh, what we have uh, been trying to do and we've been able to rejoice as God works in us. Sometimes we don't do particularly well. Sometimes we perhaps fail because so often our motivation, our way of thinking, we want to do it our way, comes in and, and, and God just gently puts his hand on our shoulder and says, good try, but it's my way or no way. It's my way. And there are times when we've thrown money at issues, when we put our time and our effort, and God just comes along and says, you should have prayed. You should have spoken to me. You've got to make sure that you've got your priorities right. So we know what the task is. And when he had said this, he ascended into heaven. Those are his last words. You receive the Holy Spirit and wait for it. That means you're going to be something. A load of nobodies becomes somebodies. And we rejoice in that. We can't understand it all, but we rejoice in that. Those are his last words. But what is it that we're to be? What is it that we are to be like? Are we to be remotely detached from people around us? Are we to go around with some sort of halo on our heads and hover uh, six inches above the ground and saying, bless you? Is, is, is that what we're being encouraged to do? No, it's not. The instructions are very, very simple. I mean, God knows us so well. We can't take a lot, can we? If there was too much detail, we'd all be in trouble. No, all we're told to be is witnesses. That's it. We're to engage people and to tell them what we've witnessed in our hearts and in our lives. To tell them about the change that's taken place in us. We know us firsthand. We're the ones who know what we were like. And we're the ones who know what we're like now that God is working in us through His Holy Spirit. Christ living within us. And so we are to engage people, friends and neighbors and family. And at Pentecost, one of the things that happened to the disciples was that they ceased to be concerned about themselves. Everything changed. In the previous six weeks, which is when our Lord had been crucified, they showed themselves to be utterly selfish. You remember... By the time Jesus had died on the cross, after six hours of hanging on the cross, every single one of the disciples had left. Every single one. John was the last to go, but he left as well. Friends, have you ever understood this? Our Lord Jesus died alone. Where were the disciples? Well, they were hiding for fear of the Jews. They were afraid of the taunting that people would give to them. People coming by and saying, Hey, we got your leader. We're going to get you next. And they were afraid. They were terrified by this. And so they fled. Frightened, broken, and they hid. They locked themselves behind a door. 
It all showed how weak and feeble they really were. They had been with Jesus for three or four years. They had seen miracle after miracle. They had heard him preach. What more could they have needed or wanted? The Holy Spirit living within them. Peter had promised that he'd never leave Jesus, but of course he did. I'll never deny you, Lord, he cried. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. If there were four crosses on the hill, nail me to the fourth. I'll never disown you. I'll be with you there. Friends, utter nonsense. Completely. No idea what he was talking about. Peter was weak. The flesh is weak. You and I are weak in our own strength. You and I will fail in our own strength. We will always let the Lord down in our own strength. Your spirit might seem strong. And you may have loads of thoughts spinning around in your head. Good ideas and plans. And that's okay. The scriptures talk about those with vision. And we need to have vision. You've got the ideas. But the truth is you haven't got the capacity within your life to live it through, to live it out. But now after Pentecost, everything's different. Everything's changed. And the first thing is, is that the disciples are no longer concerned about themselves. You could describe it as a quantum shift has taken place. How they go from being terrified behind a locked door to standing in the, preach, in the street preaching. And of the 12 disciples, you know that Judas committed suicide the day that Jesus was crucified. There's 11 left. And of those 11, as far as uh, our best understanding, not just from the scriptures, but reliable traditional history as well, of those 11 men, only one man ever died as an old man in his bed. The others had their lives taken from them. They were martyred. Peter traditionally is said to have been crucified upside down. Because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, everything changes. And one of the things that changes is this. There's going to be like this, this, this massive river that's just going to flow, this ocean that's going to flow out of you because of what's gone into you. And suddenly you're going to find that you can't help but speak about the Lord Jesus. You can't help but share the gospel. Yes, it's going to be costly and it's going to be painful. And when somebody calls you a monkey, it hurts. I could try and do a monkey impression at this point, but I won't bother. Friends, do you realize there's no growth that is comfortable? Growth is uncomfortable. The growth of an individual or the growth of a church is always costly. And it always has been. And we as a fellowship see and feel this even today. We have people, possibly even listening and watching right now, who just hate us. They don't want us to exist. They hate the gospel. 
They hate the word of God. Because it causes their conscience a problem. And they hate the premise of submission to an almighty God. But that's okay. Because we've been expecting you. You're not a surprise to us. We've known about you for years, decades even. And we're ready for you because our Lord Jesus, in his great love and his great compassion, has spoken to us already about you. And in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, he explained that you'd come along. So we're not surprised. And he explained what you would be saying And here you are saying exactly the things that Jesus said you would do. A fulfillment of prophecy. And he said this, Matthew 5, verses 11 and 12. Blessed are you when they revile. And we've been reviled. And when we're persecuted. And we've been persecuted. And when they say all kinds of evil against you. And we have had all kinds of evil said against us. And when they speak falsely. For the sake of Jesus. And then the scripture goes on and says, But rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And some of them were sawn in half. So there's a way to go yet. And here we are. And Jesus will build his church and nobody will stand against him. And we've seen this as our brothers and sisters throughout history the last 2,000 years have faced exactly and worse what we see. 1 Peter 3.12 For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Never have your face against the Lord. You don't want to do that. At your peril, you oppose God and his work. Now I suggest that there are those three evidences which we spoke of last week. Evidences of the Holy Spirit in your life. And here they are again. The evidence that the Holy Spirit is working in you is that you are hungry to know Jesus. You're hungry to be like Jesus. And here's the one that we're looking at today in more detail. You're hungry to serve Jesus Christ. And I deliberately use the word hunger. Because I know about you, but hunger is one of those things where even after you've eaten a big meal, before too long it seems to come back. And in a remarkably short period of time, you're hungry again. And you're saying to yourself, oh, I wonder what's in the fridge. Was there anything left of that piece of meat that we had at lunchtime or whatever it was? And you want to cut the corner off, stick a bit of mayonnaise on it, and it's lovely. Or you're looking for that bar of chocolate hidden at the back of the cupboard, and you're hoping that it hasn't melted as the heat has been rising. Because we get hungry, and so it's a very, very good analogy for us to understand and to to think about. Now, in an hour or so, If it's not happened already, most of us here will be hungry. And you might be thinking, I hope this message doesn't go on too long because I'm hungry. 
And some of you are watching online and you're sitting there eating your breakfast because you don't want to get hungry right now. But by 2 p.m. you'll be hungry again. And you'll go and find something to eat. And you'll enjoy it. And you'll feel satisfied for a short while. But the very word hunger that we've chosen to use this morning is that you are never truly satisfied because it keeps coming back. You will never arrive at that point that you'll never be hungry again. And we don't stand in front of a mirror in the morning and say today's going to be a good day because this morning I look more like Jesus in my attitude and the way I'm handling things than I did yesterday. Because that is just not the way it works. Sometimes we put on a show. We say the right things. We give a good outward impression that we're like Jesus. We want other people to think that we're like Jesus, but we're not like Jesus. We do not live as we should, and all too often it is because we have filled ourselves with utter rubbish, utter garbage. The rubbish and the garbage that this world has to offer, and we're trying so hard to fill ourselves with it, to deal with the hunger that there is. And we're allowing filth into our hearts and into our lives. And then we allow that to come into us and then it spreads to the people around us because remember, we're not islands. And suddenly our children are doing things and they justify it by saying, but dad, you did. But mum, you did. And we're not filled with the Spirit. You know, it can be so depressing, can't it, sometimes? How do we control our minds? Don't you find it tiring? You battle day in, day out with the same evil thoughts that come along. You wouldn't believe the mess and the things that go on in my mind. Except that they're probably going on in yours as well. But as you say, Lord Jesus, in all of this brokenness, this old nature of battling away inside me, I want to trust the Holy Spirit to have his place in my life because you finally realize that's the only way it's going to happen. It is a battle, but it's only a battle when we are hungry for Jesus. If that hunger is not present, then there's no battle. If you're not hungry for Jesus, then you can fill yourself and satisfy yourself on anything else you want to. Try to anyway. Some time ago, I was listening to um, Charles Price. Charles Price is coming to speak here in October. I was listening to a, a message in which he gave an example of a story. And for me, it's a little bit easier to understand. But I've got a feeling that some of you can always understand this one as well, okay? Because the similarities are remarkable. But it was about a, a church in Northern Ireland. And I've been to Northern Ireland. And it's a fascinating part of uh, the United Kingdom. I've tried to keep it exactly uh, as I listened to it um, and, and, and as he stated. And he says this. He want to tell you a story, he says. Many years ago, I received an invitation to speak at a church 
Uh, the invitation came to me through the post. And the writer said, I'm a member of a certain church here in Northern Ireland. It's a big church. But the writer went on to say that it was kind of a very respectable church. And the man who wrote the letter said that some of us have a burden that there are many folks in our church who do not know Jesus Christ in a living, personal way. And there's a group of us who have got together and we're praying for our church. And we've been to see our minister and we said to him, would he be interested to allow there to be a mission in our church for a couple of weeks, but a mission for people from within the church, not going outside the church. Not an outreach mission to the community around, but a mission within the church for church people. And the pastor himself, who was not particularly a spiritually minded man, spiritually not on the ball, so to speak, and he's concerned, why do you want this, he says. And they explained, and eventually the pastor agreed, if they could find somebody who would be prepared to come for such an event. The church had great attendance, a couple of thousand people. And it was a church that was respected in the community. And so the man who wrote the letter, he was the principal of a local high school, and he said, so our minister has said, if you can come, please come. And Charles Price replies, and he said, I'm in Northern Ireland in about 10 days' time. I'll come and meet with you. We'll talk about it and pray about it. And it really was that the church had never heard the gospel preached clearly. And indeed, it was the sort of church that people attended because it was the right thing to do. It was the right thing to be seen to attend. It was, if you like, some sort of social church. And so their idea was that we'd have a mission for two weeks and we'd have meetings every night of the week for two weeks except Saturday night. And all we're asking you to do, they said, is to preach the gospel. To preach the gospel with passion and to make it clear. So Charles Price agreed to go and sometimes later, later, he went for the two-week mission. And the church was packed, absolutely packed. All 2,000 plus people turned up. It was a big old church with a big balcony around it and it was full. Now the first observation that Charles makes was that nobody brought a Bible with them. Now that's always an interesting sign for the health of a church. Because you know you need to bring your Bible with you to ensure that what you're hearing is God's word. That the preacher isn't just messing with you. And so Charles Price started on Sunday morning and then Sunday evening and then every night throughout the first week. Sunday to Friday. There were two men's breakfasts and other things like that as well. And the whole mission was just for church people themselves. And they kept the attendance full every evening. And at the end of the first week, there had not been one response to the gospel. Nobody was interested. Nothing. Not a single person responded to the gospel. And Charles says, I was really discouraged. And then he goes on to say, he remembers that at the weekend saying, Lord, how do I get through to these people? You see, they know the language of the church. They know the right things. They know the culture that they're in. 
They've been born into it. And they know how to live and what to wear and what to say and where to go and what to do and how to live. And they've known these things all of their lives. Lord, how do I get through to them? And God laid on his heart, says Charles. And he says in retrospect, God laid on my heart. You know, at the time, is it my idea? What is it? But the verse that was given to him was Acts 19, verse 2. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And on the next Sunday morning, he said, I'm going to ask you a question, Charles speaking to the congregation. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit living in you? Charles says he can't remember the rest of the message. But that morning, two people were born again. Born of the Holy Spirit. Transformed. Charles thanked God. And on the Sunday evening, he felt he had to preach on the same text. And so he did. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? And praise God, someone else came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Charles preached on the same text every night for the full second week. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? And he thought of every day as the Lord spoke to him and led him what he could say about the Holy Spirit within you. And in that second week, two elders of the church came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the youth leader came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Charles Price goes on to say that he discovered there was a hub of Freemasons in the church. And one of them came to Christ. And he called the other Freemasons together in the church, including two elders. And he said to them, listen, it's Christ. Or this, but it can't be both. On the last night, it was a big old church, 500 years old big pulpit at the front with one of those big sounding boards at the top. And on the last hymn, on the last night, everything started well and then suddenly the music stopped. The music just stopped. And the organist had one of the positions it was placed right down at the front of the church. And then this massive organ, I seen a picture of this church and the music just stopped and Charles peers over the front and he sees the organist with his head in his hands sobbing because there God arrested him and he came to faith and everything changed for that man Charles says that on the last, uh, on the Monday morning, he has breakfast with the pastor of the church. And the pastor looks at Charles and he says this. He says, I came to Christ in a street meeting when I was a teenager. I loved Jesus with all my heart then. And then I went off to study for the ministry in the Presbyterian church. I studied at Queen's University in Belfast where the Presbyterian training school was 
and they knocked all the life out of me. I came out with no confidence in Scripture, no confidence in Christ. I came out basically a Christian social worker. I lost my message, said the pastor. And look at the deadness in my church. I would never have said that to anybody until this morning. And he said, I'm asking the Spirit of God to make himself alive to me again. And last night he did. And that church has gone on to grow. And it's now colossal. It was pretty big before. Because they're preaching the gospel. And the Holy Spirit comes into people's hearts and lives and changes them. Because now they're hungry for Jesus. They're hungry to be like Jesus. They're hungry to serve like Jesus. You see, there may be someone here this morning, or perhaps someone listening online, who has never received the Holy Spirit. In other words, hasn't come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And perhaps you don't even know that there is a Holy Spirit. But suddenly this morning, the light is now dawning. And suddenly all you can do is want to shout out to the Lord and almost scream as it were and say, Lord Jesus, come into my life by your Holy Spirit and live within me. And for the first time ever, you're prepared to say, I need you. I need you. Because I can't carry on like this. I've tried everything else and none of it works. Lord Jesus, please come and live within me. And be all that I need. Please come and satisfy my hunger. Feed me. Fill me. Fill me with your love. But this morning there are also some people sat here and there are some who are listening online and you are doing what the scripture absolutely warns us against. And it's this, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. Very dangerous place to be. Perhaps you even feel proud that this is where you are. All you can do is to try and bring the church of Jesus Christ down. You'll gossip about it. You'll lie about it. You'll say things that are absolutely not true. You're trying to destroy the witness and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit, the Scriptures say. To grieve the Holy Spirit is to prevent Him from doing that which He was given to us to do. And it's we who stop Him working in our hearts. The scripture also tells us that we can quench the Holy Spirit. It's like taking this huge bucket of water and pouring it all over him. And saying, don't ever speak to me. Never come into my heart. Never talk to me. I'm going to resist you. Leave me alone. And we try and resist him as if we could resist him. When Stephen was preaching... Acts 7, I think. 
And he said to the Pharisees and those, he said, you're just like your fathers. You always resist the Holy Spirit. You just resist him and you grieve him and you quench him. And there are some of you who are doing that. Why? Because we have a personal agenda that he, the Holy Spirit, will interfere with. And we don't want our life to be interfered with. And so I ask you this morning, is the Holy Spirit alive and working and witnessing in your heart? If he's not, perhaps you've never received him. And so this morning I would urge you to say, Lord Jesus, please come into my life by your Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that lives the life of Jesus in us. How are we to become like Jesus? Through the Holy Spirit living the life of Jesus in us. Please come and live in me. Now for this to happen, we need to repent. We need to turn. We need to change our minds about ourselves and about the sin and about our own egotism. And I change my mind about God and I embrace you, Lord. And I welcome you into my life. Friends, this morning, just invite Jesus into your heart and receive the Holy Spirit and know that Jesus is living in you. There are lots of people who say, I'm a Christian, but when you meet them, you soon realize they're empty. But in a group such as we have here in this tent and listening online and your relationship with the Holy Spirit has been one of grieving and quenching and resisting and rebellion. And I know this so well even in my own life, how easy I can quench him and have to come back to him and seek forgiveness. But maybe for some of us it's become a kind of disposition of life. I'm just living life my way. Yes, I call myself a Christian. Yes, I would even be able to say that Christ is the patron of my Christianity. That's what the word Christian means. But you know what? He's not the life of it. He's not the content of it. He's not the joy and the freshness. There is no river that runs out of me. Certainly not of joy. Perhaps there is of hatred. As Jesus said, there would be streams of living water if you come to me and drink. People are not feeding on the fruit of my life because, friends, there's nothing to feed on. And this morning, we're going to close with a very short time of prayer. Just a brief moment. And as we pray, I want us all to realize that we are able to come, as Jacqueline kindly spoke earlier, to the very throne 
of God. It's not just some ordinary chair, young man. Read Revelation with your mum and dad. They'll explain what the throne looks like. But you see, we're able to come to the very throne of God. We're able to come right to the heart of God. We're able to come to the place where we are intimate with God. So I want everyone to bow our heads. Don't look around. I'm going to give you just a moment for you to speak from your heart. To speak to God about the role of the Holy Spirit, His Holy Spirit in your life. And for just a moment, I want you to speak quietly. And whatever's on your heart, share it with Him. Because He's listening to you right now. It's between you and Him. You can confess things that are quenching His presence. You can confess things that are grieving His presence in your heart and in your life. And perhaps you can invite Him for the very first time to impart the life of Jesus into you through His Holy Spirit. And in doing that, to give you a hunger and an appetite to know Jesus, to be like Jesus, and to serve like Jesus. Lord Jesus, I thank you for every man and woman, every young person, every boy and girl in this tent this morning. And also for those in their homes listening. And I thank you that we are here because we want to know you. And I pray, Lord Jesus, especially for those of us who may have never been born again of the Holy Spirit, never come alive in Jesus. I pray, Lord Jesus, that as they open their hearts to you, that the Holy Spirit will bear witness with their spirit. Lord Jesus, this morning, please do something inside them that they will know and they will be able to relate to. They will know that something's happened, that something's changed, that everything's changed. And for those of us, Lord Jesus, who have quenched and grieved you, we pray that we would come humbly in repentance and confession and allow you the freedom to live your life in us, which is the life for which we were made every single one of us, every person on this planet, the life of joy and fruitfulness, the life of peace, the life of the joy of knowing your great mercy and forgiveness, the life of knowing that our sins have been washed and cleansed away, the life of knowing that we are safe in the hands of Jesus. 
who died on the cross that we might live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.